Welcome to K-Explore's Emerging Research. We're focusing on research that's happening right now. It's science so fresh, you haven't even heard about it yet. I'm Stacey Cochran. And I'm Kim Winslow from the Knowledge Exchange. Soil is alive, and we need it to stay healthy to support the crops that sustain us. So what happens when soil is flooded or dries out in a drought? Those systems get stressed. I don't do well under stress, do you, Kim? No. (laughs) No, nobody does. Figuring out how soil bounces back from the stressful weather events could help farmers protect their fields against changes in Ohio's climate. Today, we're talking with soil scientist Dr. Christine Sprunger, an assistant professor in the School of Environment and Natural Resources in the College of Food, Agricultural, and Environmental Sciences. Christine takes a neat approach to soil. She studies what lives in the soil, like the roots and microscopic organisms, often called microbiota, to know what might happen above ground with things like plant yield and carbon cycling. But it's her emerging research that we really want to talk about today. Welcome, Christine. Thanks for agreeing to be our first guest on our new series. Thank you so much for having me. So we have a fun little um, get-to-know-you activity. So here, here it is. What current fact about yourself would really impress your five-year-old self? My five-year-old self really wanted to be a marine biologist. And I think my five-year-old self would be still impressed that I ended up in the sciences. <laughs> nice. That's great. Not the typical, you know, I want to be a gymnast. I want to be a, a singer. That's fantastic. <laughs> I love it. Well, and knowing that, Christine, you have an exciting project now with Michigan State University. And so thinking about that, tell us a little bit about that emerging research. What my colleagues and I are doing at Michigan State University is wanting to understand how big climate impacts like drought influence not only what happens above ground like crop productivity, but what happens below ground. So thinking about the rhizosphere, what happens to the root systems, as well as what actually lives in the rhizosphere. So things like microbial communities, as well as um, mesofauna, which we think of as nematode communities and things like arthropods. Um, And we think that these soil fauna are really important to study because they could show indicators of both stress as well as um, ecosystem resilience. So how a system might respond um, post a disturbance event. And this could all lead to being really important for thinking about how uh, soil health and other things in terms of like carbon cycling and nitrogen cycling um, are impacted by uh, things like drought. So can you say a little bit more about the rhizosphere? You would use that word and what goes on in that particular layer of the soil? Yeah, it's this very important component of the soil. So the rhizosphere is really the environment around a root system. Um, And from a biological standpoint, it's really where we see the greatest activity of microbial communities and nematodes and just the entire soil food web. And the reason why we see greater activity right around the root system is because that's where we also see the greatest amount of nutrient cycling. So it's really this hot spot 
for um, any type of nutrient, which really is the, the food source for these microbial communities. And we know that an increase in root production and rhizosphere activity is also highly correlated with an increase in the soil fauna um, which then can oftentimes reflect an increase in greater overall soil health just because of that interaction that you get between the chemical component and the biological component of the soil. So I'm going to geek out a little bit here because you use the word nematode, and (laughs) I happen to love nematodes. Uh, So can you talk a little bit more about what you're doing with that specific layer and that specific piece of the rhizosphere? Yeah, absolutely. So oftentimes when we think about what lives in the soil, we immediately go to um, fungi and bacteria, but there's a whole other set of organisms um, that actually feed on these really important microbes, and those are, are nematodes. Before we go any further, let's talk about nematodes. We don't want to assume everyone knows what a nematode is, So a nematode is actually a roundworm, and roundworms are different than other worms you may find when digging in the soil. Roundworms are typically microscopic, or they can be as big as your pinky fingernail. Sometimes people get grossed out when we say roundworms because they think of the kind that can infect humans. Nematodes are completely different. They only impact plants and soil, either beneficially or not so beneficially. But let's hear what Christine has to say about that. So we have nematodes that feed on uh, fungi, nematodes that only feed on bacteria, nematodes that feed on plant roots, and nematodes that feed on each other. And scientists can gain a lot of really interesting perspectives on what might be happening in terms of um, the soil food web by determining the abundance of the different types of nematodes. So for example, a system that might be dominated by bacteria could um, reflect a system that's more stressed. Um, Whereas a system that has a greater number of predators, so again, those nematodes that feed on each other, could um, reflect a system that's higher along a succession, um, like ecological succession. So that could show that the system has rebounded more and is less disturbed. I know around here when we talk about nematodes, we often think of them as a pest. And so can you talk a little bit more about you know, when we're when we're talking about nematodes in your context, I think that it can share a lot of information, whereas sometimes we hear that word and we cringe a little bit. So can you share uh, that difference? Yeah, absolutely. So um, the, the fourth kind of area of nematology that I mentioned earlier, the, the nematodes that feed on plant roots, those are the plant parasitic nematodes. And that's probably what farmers most associate with the term nematodes. And they are especially um, parasitic to soybeans. So we hear about the soybean cyst nematodes. Um, but it's really important to think about um, free living nematodes, so the nematodes that live in the soil rather than um, attached to the root, because these are beneficial nematodes. And we actually know that um, a greater abundance of the beneficial nematodes is often associated with greater carbon cycling, greater nitrogen mineralization. It's been associated with greater plant 
nitrogen uptake, which is really important for crop productivity. And, and unfortunately, it's just been the case that scientists have focused more on plant parasitic nematodes rather than these beneficial nematodes. And that's really what my lab and my grad students are, are working towards is understanding how these beneficial nematodes can be important indicators of soil health and ecosystem resilience. Yeah, and that's what I was hearing is uh, one of the neat areas of work that you're really focusing in on is, sure, definitely this nematode work, this nematology, as you put it, but it tells a greater story about what's going on with the soil so that farmers can learn a lot more about what's going on in their land. And I just think that's really fascinating. And one of the pieces is that I love how scientists are naturally curious people. And so what other big questions are you asking uh, in your work and in general? Yeah, so, you know, we briefly mentioned uh, understanding soil food webs and how they respond to drought with the work that we're doing at Michigan State. Here at Ohio State, I'm working with um, Dr. Alex Lindsay, who's in the Horton Crops Department, and he's looking at um, how flooding influences just crop productivity, especially in corn systems. And we're uh, leading the rhizosphere biology aspect of this, and again, using nematodes to understand how flooding might influence nematode communities as a reflection of soil health. And so we're also working then to connect um, this theme of ecosystem resilience. How can we track nematodes over the course of a growing season to understand, does the system respond and rebound post this flooding event? And do we see a greater um, association with um, higher soil carbon, higher um, nitrogen mineralization uh, compared to when the system is under um, a flooding event? So I'm going to backtrack just one minute because I'm not a scientist. Can you tell me what is happening in these nematode uh, communities during a drought or during a flood? Yeah, so I can hypothesize what's happening because we actually are doing these experiments because we don't quite know. Um, what my projection is, is that under times of stress, we're going to see greater um, shifts in terms of having a greater abundance of bacterial and fungal communities, um, because that's what we tend to see in times of stress. But then what we're hoping to see is that the communities, because these nematodes are so sensitive, that they can shift you know, within a few days. And so what does the community look like once the system has rebounded. And this is really, again, trying to capture the resilience of a system. Are these nematode communities shifting more towards having more predators? Um, do we see a change in the entire structure of the soil food web? And specifically for the drought experiment, what's really nice is we're comparing a conventional um, a, a no-till system, but still receiving fertilizer, pesticides, et cetera, to a perennial-based system. And so we can ask questions about, you know, when you have deeper root systems, um, are you seeing a 
greater amount of these predators, which again may reflect um, better soil health. Does this perennial system um, have the same response to drought um, that a conventional system has? So we can kind of ask these um, kind of basic questions, but then we could maybe apply that to an agricultural farming system. So we could say, you know, if we see better benefits in this perennial system, maybe we need to have more perennial crops on our agricultural landscape. Um, and so those are the kind of takeaways that we're trying to, to understand. And I think it's super important to note that this nematode work that you are doing, it's not like it's something that goes on all across the nation. This is definitely an area of specialty that you and your lab are picking up on and really trying to explore. Uh, And so can you tell us a little bit about your background and how you learned about nematodes and what got you excited about them? Yeah, absolutely. So um For my dissertation work, I focus mainly on root systems and how they contribute to soil carbon dynamics. Um, But I was really, um, I felt like I had a missing link during my dissertation in terms of understanding the microbial community and soil fauna. There's just this whole other aspect to the rhizosphere, right, that um, just can't be ignored. And so uh, during my postdoc, uh, I started thinking, you know, how can I advance the area of soil health by thinking about soil biological communities? And actually, that idea came to me by talking to farmers in Michigan who were very interested in different soil health indicators, but they kept asking, you know, what's happening to the microbial community on my farm? Like, why don't you have more indicators that reflect biological activity. And so uh, my first year as a faculty member in um, the Environment and Natural Resources, uh, I decided to um, get trained in nematology. So I went um, to Wageningen University in the Netherlands, and they are like the world experts in nematology, uh, and they offer a summer course uh, to train scientists who are interested in learning how to identify nematodes, because the way that you quantify nematodes is you identify them through a microscope. Um, And there are thousands of different types of nematodes. We talked about the four kind of specific feeding groups, but within that there are several families and genuses and species. Um, And so I learned how to identify um, nematodes through that summer course and then brought that back to my lab and trained grad students. And um, it was just a great way to be able to link our interests with rhizosphere dynamics and agricultural uh, sustainability, but also be able to introduce kind of this new uh, indicator that has been widely used in the Netherlands, but not as much in the United States, and then be able to link that to soil health. What does this research look like? What is a yeah. day in the so life for you? This summer is a really busy one because we're all over the place. We have a team of grad students and technicians that are in Michigan where they're looking at the drought impacts uh, in agricultural systems, um, where we have we use rainout shelters. So we build these structures um, that keep out water um, so we can simulate drought impacts and then go in and irrigate um, when we need to 
to um, have different levels of, of drought, still keeping the plants alive, but then having prolonged drought. Uh, and then in Ohio, we have a different team working um, at these uh, on this flooding experiment where we simulate flooding events. So we have um, really large trials both at Worcester and the Northwest Research Station, um, and we have um, simulated. Um, flooding using irrigation. And so we have grad students that are looking at root systems in these experiments. We have grad students looking at the nematodes. Um, and we have it so that students are constantly measuring um, throughout these flooding events. So we have systems that are only flooded for one day. Then we have systems that are only flooded for three days in a week. And we want to make sure that we always are able to soil sample right after these flooding events to really understand how prolonged, like different rates of prolonged flooding impact these soil food webs. When thinking about the work that you're doing also with the farming community here in Ohio, can you talk a little bit about that as well? Because I know you're also talking to farmers nearby about soil samples and learning more information from them. The work that we do uh, across farmer fields in Ohio is we ask farmers what they're concerned about in terms of soil health. We ask them um, what kind of indicators they might need to inform their management decisions. And the uh, answers that we often get are that they're frustrated in terms of being able to build soil organic matter. So you may be asking, why does soil organic matter matter? So even though it's often a small percentage of the soil makeup, it offers a number of benefits to farmers and to crop yield. It basically helps soil to do a better job. It prevents erosion, helps with plant nutrition and root development, and it even supports healthy water storage. So when Christine is talking about farmers trying to increase their soil organic matter, it's because overall it helps with soil fertility, which is a great thing when talking about our agriculture. So they'll take a, a soil sample maybe every three or four years on their farm and they send it to a commercial lab and then they get a, a soil organic matter uh, test back. And that soil organic matter value often doesn't change after, you know, three or four years. And so what they're wanting are more sensitive indicators that might reflect uh, recent changes in management. So let's say a farmer's like, you know, I'm going to try cover crops and I would like to, you know, is that doing anything to improve my soil health? And so what we're doing is we're going in um, with soil sampling and the, we'll send half of that sample to a commercial lab. And then the other half we'll analyze in our own lab with more sensitive measures of soil health. And then we bring it back to the farmer and say, okay, here's what we, we found. We've seen um, you know the soil organic matter tests that you're really familiar with from the commercial testing labs. Uh, and then here are these new indicators that we think are more sensitive to recent changes in management. And oftentimes we see really different um, 
results with these different types of tests. And so it's a rewarding kind of experience to be able to work with farmers, bring them hopefully tests that are um, more informative in terms of what is happening on their actual fields and that um, can help them in terms of future, future management decisions that they might be making. So these tests that you're doing that are more sensitive, is this something that you hope um, from this work that we can recommend that will be available for farmers? That is the ultimate hope, um, is that commercial tests will be able to adopt some of these uh, more sensitive measures and be able to offer them to farmers. Because right now, farmers are only gaining access to these more sensitive soil health tests through university projects. Um, And so if they were able to access these tests through um, commercial labs, then that could potentially give them better information in terms of managing um, for improved soil health. And I will add that we're nematodes is one of those <laughs> indicators that um, we're, we're working on in terms of trying to identify the best ways that we can um, help farmers understand nematode data and understand, you know, how they could use it in terms of um, building their portfolio of, of different management practices. Well, now you've done it, Christine, because you said nematodes again. It keeps all excited. I am. <laughs> we got to move on from the nematodes, Kim. But why? They're just so fascinating. You never move on from the nematodes. No. Well, and- it's we have it, their own TV show at this point. I think right? real lives of the nematodes. Exactly. I, I feel like that would be so. highly watched. <laughs> well, and I so what I'm hearing too is that you know we have this research from your lab that's going on looking at flooding and drought, and then we're also seeing research that's really trying to connect with the farming community to better understand their needs based on soil health and based on their land. So it's it's really all looking systematically at soil and understanding all the different parameters we can or all the different pieces and parts that we can. So tell me what you're really hoping to get out of this research. What are you hoping to learn? Yeah, so I think the two main things that I would really like to help answer is how can we build, first, how can we build systems that um, are resilient to climate change? And that is really what we're able to do uh, by working on drought and working on flooding. Um, Because we're not just looking at businesses' normal management practices under drought and under flooding, we're comparing um, several different agricultural practices. Um, for example, for the flooding event, we're looking at a suite of cover crops. Um, so we're able to ask, you know, does uh, planting mixed cover crop species off a season lessen the impact of flooding during the actual growing season? Um, and so Asking those kind of practical questions, um, I think, is going to be really important moving forward as the agricultural Midwest continues to face um, these major climatic impacts. The second component is really just thinking about basic soil fertility. And that's that question of, you know, how can we make sure that 
scientists are providing farmers with the right tools to assess their soil health. Um, and if we can do that effectively, I'm confident that farmers will be able to um, improve their soil health. And when we talk to farmers about this, farmers say that the reason why they want to improve soil health is one, um, they know that their success um, is highly reliant on the health of their soils. They know that for long-term crop productivity and sustainability, they need to take care of their soils. Uh, so making sure that farmers have the right tools to quantify soil health and make more informed management decisions that could reduce nitrate leaching and phosphorus runoff, I think are, are just crucial for overall sustainability across the state of Ohio. So what is the timeline for this project? When, when would you be wrapping up your work and have something that you can share with farmers and the communities? Yeah, so we, um, for the soil health work on farm, we just finished our first year uh, and first round of interviews with farmers, and we're getting ready to do a, a second round. Um, so we're kind of wrapping up uh, one season and um, continuing on uh, with a some farmers are coming back and then we also have new farmers that are getting involved, which is great. And so we're kind of wrapping up one little section and we'll have probably a, a publication ready to uh, submit in the fall. And then this drought and flooding work is really just starting. We're starting our first season for both of these experiments um, and they'll really be finalized probably in three to four years, which we're really excited about. But of course, every year we'll be learning something new. And it's really interesting because uh, 2021 is projected to be in a drought year. And so especially with the flooding experiment, we'll be able to simulate flooding and then look to see what's happening in an actual drought year too. And especially with the nematode community, we'll see, you know, where are the where are the swings in terms of, you know, is the community rebounding and then um, kind of responding to another stressor. Uh, so we're very much excited to um, collect data and really monitor what happens over the course of the growing season and of course over the course of these next four years. I know this is one of those funny times when scientists get all excited because there's a real life experiment going on even though we know that it's also an awkward time to be excited. <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> you know <laughs> so yeah. Got to take advantage of exactly so we can learn. Yes what mother nature gives us so yes absolutely. Hey, Kim, it is time for our Dream Big segment. Woohoo! We see that you're doing a lot of collaborating, you're reaching out, you're working with the farmers. But if you had unlimited resources, grants, time, funding, what big questions would you research? That's an excellent question. I think there are kind of two tracks <laughs> that I would want to go. So the first is continuing on this nematode um, theme, but thinking about it in a completely different context. So like I mentioned earlier, nematodes can be found in marine systems, freshwater ecosystems, forest systems. I just right now happen to be uh, looking at them in agricultural systems. I think it would be awesome if we could think about nematodes as a 
bioindicator um, of stress within a freshwater system. So I would love to compare maybe nematodes within Lake Erie compared to uh, Lake Michigan and see how these nematode communities shift when there is a greater amount of algae, for example. And so it could be really interesting to use these as an indicator of um, water quality, which I don't believe has been done within Lake Erie. And so I'd love to collaborate more with the aquatic ecologists in SCNR to um, think about how nematodes can transcend um, and, and be used as a, a bioindicator for, for water quality issues in the state of Ohio. Kim, Kim so are, you, are you crying, Kim? I mean, <laughs> this is just making all of my dreams come true. <laughs> for those who don't know, aquatic ecology is my background. So we're bringing nematodes into my background so I am just thrilled <laughs> two loves brought together yeah. there you go so that's that's one um, idea that I'd love to explore down the road um, and then the other is you know climate change is happening all across the world um, again we just so happen to be focusing on um, the agricultural Midwest, but I would love uh, to take some of these questions and ask them uh, in more tropi tropical ecosystems. So I was born in Haiti actually, um, and grew up in the United States, was adopted um, by Americans, but I would love to go back and, and study um, soil health, soil fertility, um, resilience in um, agricultural systems in, in Haiti. I think that would be really interesting to see how, um, you know, for example, smallholder farming systems um, could utilize what we learn from Midwest agriculture and apply that to the tropics to improve soil health there. That's fascinating. So then in thinking about that, do you have a dream team in mind that could help you do either of those research areas? Who would you pull together? Yeah, so for um, the aquatic work uh, and thinking about nematodes in um, Lake Erie, I'd love to uh, connect with Majeka Sullivan, um, Lauren Pintor, Rachel Gabor. I think they'd be excellent collaborators to think about um, just soil food webs and nutrient cycling and um, freshwater ecosystems. And then for the work in Haiti, um, I'd really like to not only think about soil health in terms of, of um, you know, improving overall sustainability within agricultural systems, but it would be great if we can connect some of these soil health indicators to um, just overall food security and um, nutrients within some of these cropping systems. And so, for example, uh, Leah Bevis um, does this work in Nepal, and I think it would be great to connect with her and ask some of those questions in, in Haiti. Absolutely. I think some of the in-fact faculty that you have as your cohort would be excellent partners in that work. Oh my gosh. Yeah, Fascinating. Absolutely. 
I love it. Making all these great connections. <laughs> all right. So we have time for one final question. This has been a great conversation and we've learned so much about the work that you're doing and how you hope this will impact, um, you know, farmers and communities so they can learn more about their soil and what they can do to help protect their land and, and their investment in their business. Uh, so what do you hope are the key takeaways that we can learn about this project when, when it's all wrapped up and we are, you're presenting this and our extension professionals can read about it, decision makers, anybody that has access to it, what are you hoping they'll take away? I'm hoping that we can give um, farmers and extension educators kind of a roadmap for how to incorporate different management practices that are most resilient to drought and, and flooding. And so, for example, like hopefully we can pinpoint, you know, which types of cover crops um, help with resiliency under flooding. I think that'd be just extremely useful for farmers, especially in Ohio, as we continue to face early summer flooding events. Um, and especially with the soil health work, just really pinpointing key indicators that are most useful to farmers. Um, and then really working with commercial labs to be able to offer that so more farmers have access to that, I think would be um, extremely, extremely important. Christine, thank you so much. I know I've been fangirling over here because of all <laughs> the exciting things that you have going on. But when we really look at the, your portfolio of work, I think it's commendable that you're looking at the now with soil fertility and working with farmers about what they need right now so that they can be prepared now. And then we're also looking at some of the long term with our climate work when you're looking at drought and flooding, and then some of your long-term questions about bringing some of these landscapes together, whether it be water with agriculture or some of these other bioindicators, and also globally when you're talking about your work with Haiti and with Leah and AEDE. So thank you so much for joining us today. I know I learned a lot. I had fun. Um, I, again, I love this work, so it's pretty easy for me to do. Um, but thank you for taking your time today and talking to us about your work. My pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Want to explore more fresh research from the College of Food, Agricultural, and Environmental Sciences? Visit kx.osu.edu. And thanks for listening to KX Explores Emerging Research.